We are grateful, our Father, for the privilege of worship. We are grateful, Father, for the freedoms that we have in this land, that we might gather together openly, freely, with delight, without fear of retribution from mankind, but that we might do so openly and in our community, even with the blessing of our government, as they understand the good benefit that comes from those who love Christ and how they serve their community. And so, Father, we are here together with so many joys in our hearts, but supremely a joy in you and a joy that leads to a desire that we might be conformed to you. We want to look more like you. We want to look more like our Savior. We want to be empowered more submissively and fully to the Spirit of God so that we might have fullness of joy so that we might have fullness of service so that we might be satisfied in you. The world doesn't think this. But there's no, nothing more satisfying than you. There is nothing that will give pleasure like you. And so would you lead us to being content with that and equipped by that this morning? Would you give us instruction from your word? Would you give me clarity and wisdom, accuracy and joy and might all of us be transformed by what we hear this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Ted was discouraged. He had written what he thought was a particularly compelling children's book. And that book had been rejected by a publisher. And then it was rejected by a second publisher and a third publisher, 27 times, he was told no. So one afternoon, after his 27th rejection, he was walking the streets of New York City, headed back to his apartment, intending to take the manuscript and throw it in the incinerator and burn it. It obviously was not as good as he thought. And while he was walking his way back to his apartment, he ran into an old college friend named Mike McClintock. Mike had just taken a position as an acquisitions editor at a children's publisher. And Mike invited Ted to come by his office the next day and show him the manuscript so that they could talk about it together. Mike, or excuse me, Ted went to see Mike. And they talked about the manuscript, what they might do with the manuscript, and ultimately Mike bought the manuscript. You might have heard of it, and I think I saw it on Mulberry Street. Oh, and he bought two more books from Ted, The Cat in the Hat and The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Ted, of course, is Ted Gazelle, otherwise known as Dr. Seuss. 27 rejections. 
In gratitude, Gazelle wrote McClintock a short time later this note. You picked me up off Madison Avenue with a manuscript I was about to burn in my incinerator because nobody would buy it. And you not only told me how to put Mulberry Street together properly, but after you'd sweated this out with me, giving me the best and only good information I have ever had on the construction of a book for this mysterious market, you even took the stuff on the road and sold it. That story affirms and reminds us of the necessity of relationships. People need people. Successful people need people. We are not created to be alone. And if that is true in the world, it is even more true in the church of Jesus Christ. That's one of the realities that we discovered the last time I preached, which is now a month ago, uh, as we made our way through John 17, thinking about Christ's prayer for the church. And that prayer focuses on the reality that we are unified, that we are made into one body. God has not only desired us to be together, He has made us to be one, to be together. And we need each other. We have been given to each other as a grace gift. We are together. The passage before us this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to be looking particularly at verses 11 and 12 and peeking into verse 13, exhorts us to preserve the unity that we have been given. That's verse 3. And then tells us how we might preserve that unity in verses 11 and following. At the beginning of every year, We spend a couple of Sundays thinking about spiritual disciplines, about how we might meditate on the scriptures and benefit from the scriptures and orient our lives around the scriptures and then think about prayer and the role of prayer in our lives. And this morning, I want us to expand those two spiritual disciplines into a third spiritual discipline, the discipline of of fellowship, the discipline of fellowship. In fact, I think this is so necessary for us that over the coming year, we're going to find ourselves rooted in this about a half dozen times throughout this year. We're going to spend some time thinking about relationship and intimacy and cultivating um, that relationship that is so necessary within the body of Christ. And this is the first of those messages. One of the most intelligent articles that I have read recently is one that is written from a secular perspective entitled, Everything is Broken. The author asserts that every major structure in our culture is broken. Everything is broken. Medicine, media, education, housing, farming, cities, religion, it's all broken. And that breakage didn't start with covid But the political turmoil of the past year and COVID has simply revealed the brokenness that exists in our culture. One item that the article did not mention is something that has been also extensively revealed in this past year, and that is the brokenness of relationships. One of the most significant losses of this past year has been the loss of relationship. 
And if 2020 was marked by lost and broken relationship, then brothers and sisters, we need to make all the more sure that 2021 is marked by the cultivation and the preservation of relationship. We need relationship and we need fellowship. And that's where we're going to point our attention this morning and then over a series of sermons throughout this year to help us to return to the priority of relationship this morning, we are reminded from Ephesians chapter 5 that because God has made us one body, we can and must preserve and build our mutual relationships. God has made us one. And out of that oneness, He calls us to preserve the unity that He has granted to us. In other words, there are things that can come in and squeeze in and fracture and disseminate and break relationship and unity. And we are called to preserve that. Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 13 will give us five implications for our unity. Five implications for our unity. The first is found kind of in a preface to what I want to look at in verses 11 to 13. The first is found in verses 1 to 10 with the reality, we are all one. We are all one. Ephesians manifests the unity that is in the body throughout the letter, particularly though in chapter 4. But but the whole letter points to the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. For instance, chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, tell us that we have the same calling to salvation. We have the same gifting of salvation. Verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, tell us that we all have the same Spirit of God that resides within us. Chapter 2, starting in verse 11 through chapter 3, verse 7, tell us that we are combined into one body regardless of our biological and social background. Chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, we are all connected to one triune God in the very same way. I am not connected to the Lord in any different way than you. We all have the same God. He He is the same Trinity to all men everywhere in the same way. And we who are in Christ are connected to Him in the same way. We all, verse 11, have been gifted spiritually for ministry. We all, verse 12, have been and are being equipped for ministry. Verse 12, we are all called to do the work of the ministry. In fact, Christ has only one body of Christ and it takes every single member to make that body work. As we summarize what the Apostle Paul says about unity in the body in the book of Ephesians, we understand that the spiritual maturity of any local church body is going to be measured and revealed by the level of involvement of the members of the body to one another. You want to know how mature a body is? Then you can just look at how interactive they are with one another and you can measure their maturity by that. The church is no more mature then its relationships are thriving. And if we want to be mature, effective, then our relationships and our care for one another must be exemplary. So the fundamental work of ministry is to preserve the unity that God has made has given us by making every believer mature in Christ. And brothers and sisters, all of us, are involved in that process. 
all. If you're in Christ, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you are necessary to the maturing of the body of Christ here. God has put you here so that you can interact with other people so that they will be made mature in Christ. One pastor has noted, from the beginning of creation, God intended that His people should be a family. Brothers, God not only intended it, He made us a family. He didn't just say, well, I wish they were a family. He said, I am making them a family. Which is why we are called His sons and we are called brothers and sisters. We are called with family names to denote that we are family. It is inherently woven into us. We are one. There's a second implication I want you to see in this passage that starts in verse 11. And that is that we all have gifts. We all have gifts. In verse 11, the apostle identifies four spiritual gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Pastor, teachers. I think that's a combined gift. And we can actually break those four gifts into two kinds of gifts. There are foundational gifts. Those are the gifts of apostle and prophet. Those were the gifts that God gave for a brief period of time at the beginning of the church so that the church could be established and the foundation could be laid. We looked at that at some length when we went through Romans chapter 12 a few months ago. And then there are the permanent gifts that he gives. He identifies two of those permanent gifts here in verse 11, evangelists and pastor teachers. These are the gifts that brought people into the church through evangelism and then equipped people once they were in the church, that is, through the gifts of pastors and teachers. And as you think about the evangelists and as you think about the pastors and teachers, recognize these realities. That God is using people. He's using people To accomplish his purposes. He is gifting frail, weak, incompetent men with spiritual gifts to accomplish his purposes. In fact, it's been noted many times. Notice verse 11. He says he gave some as apostles, as prophets, as evangelists, as pastor teachers. In other words, he's not just giving the gift, he is giving the people to the church. And aren't you thankful for the evangelist that came into your life, that spoke the truth of the gospel to you? Aren't you thankful for the dozens of pastors and teachers and those who have been spiritually equipped with the gift of teaching and discipling to pour into your life to make you what you are today. And God's used people to shape you, to mold you. And that continues to be His pattern. But God doesn't use people generally. Notice this as well. God is using all the people 
in the body. All people in the body have spiritual gifts. Now, it's not explicitly clear in this text, but we saw it in Romans 12. It also exists in 1 Corinthians 12. That all people, once they have trusted in Christ, have at least one spiritual gift that God uses within the body. And some have more than that. Some have a multiplicity of combinations of gifts by which they serve the body. But the point is simply this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a gift. God is using you. God has called you to serve the body. And the gift he has given you is not meant to be put on a shelf and not used. Now, I won't ask for a a show of hands, but about six weeks ago, there was a massive exchange of gifts around the country, right? Christmas morning. How many of you said, oh, thank you. This is wonderful. I'm really looking forward to this. And you took the gift and you put it away and you haven't seen it since December 26th. Now, I won't ask for how many, a show of hands how many have done that, but that happens, doesn't it? I get a gift, I do the dutiful thing, I say thank you, I write the card, I say thank you, and I put it away, and it's never used again. Brothers and sisters, that's not why God gives us the spiritual gifts He's given us. He's given us the gifts to be used. And my gift isn't for me. My gift is for you. I only get benefit from my gift when I use it in service of you. And you only get benefit from your gift when you use it in service of me. So I use my gift. You use your gift as we serve one another. And all of us are involved in that process. Here's the way we summarize it here. Grace Bible Church exists to shepherd God's people. We have one goal. We have one desire. We have a desire to see people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. That's that's using the gift of evangelism. We want to see people brought into the body of Christ. And then we want to train and disciple them and equip them with Christ. And that whole process of seeing them come in and seeing them trained is what we call shepherding. And that's why we're here. That's our goal. That's our intention. That's that's. That's why we exist. We use people to help people. Let me refine refine that even a little bit more. We use broken, weak, inadequate, incompetent people. People who need help to help others. And that way, who gets the glory? God. Because you look at us and say... Well, I know who you are, and you're just not particularly competent, but you were used in my life, and I know it's God that has accomplished that through you in me. We exist to shepherd God's people, and we all have a role in that process. We are all indispensable to that process. I want you to see something else in these verses, starting in verse 12. We are all either equipping or we, we are all being equipped. We're either equipping or being equipped. What is important in these verses is not just the gifts that are given, but why they are given. So notice the prepositions in verse 12. He has given these people and gifted these people in verse 11 
verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So twice he uses the preposition for to indicate a purpose. Why has he given these things and these people? And to what end? So he uses the preposition to to indicate the goal. And, and these are all progressive. They, they build on each other. The pastor teachers equip. Those who are equipped serve. And as those who serve, serve, then the body is built up. It's important to remember that the work of the pastor, the elder, the teacher is not to do everything. The task of the elder and the pastor teacher is simply to equip, to prepare so that every member of the body carries out his or her task for the benefit of the entire body. So the equipping is done by the pastors and teachers of all the saints so that all the saints do the work of service. And when that happens, the body is built up. The task of elders and pastors is not to do all the ministry, but to equip others so that everything that needs to be done can and will be done. And that's why... We have things like GBI and Awana and a counseling training program and preaching and home groups and mentoring and discipling. We have those things because we are equipping people. It's not just home group. It's equipping. It's not just counseling. It's preparation for life, for service. It's not just discipling so I can know some stuff. It's equipping so that I can go into the community with the gospel and the light of Christ and share the truth of Christ and people come to know Him and they're changed and transformed by Him. That's why, that's why we spend so much time around here teaching. It's not to fill heads. It is to fill hearts with the truth of Christ and put tools in your tool belt so that you will be prepared to serve and disciple and train and build up others. And all of us are involved in that process. All of us are, all of us are either equipping someone or we're being equipped by someone. We're all We're all, uh, we, we, we say often around here, we're all counselors, right? The question is only, are you a good counselor or a bad counselor? All of us gives advice. All the time. (laughs) I was even going to say that. I I think about a time where Regine and the girls and I were camping. And uh, we'd already set up our tent. We were just kind of getting ready for dinner that evening or something. and, And this couple pulled in with a brand new car and a trailer. And, you know, they pull up in front and then the wife gets out and she stands at the back and she starts giving directions as the guy's trying to back up. And it is clear within about three nanoseconds that he's never backed up a trailer in his life. And his wife is giving him instruction. And it was um, it was it was a, 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 a perverse delight <laughs> to watch the communication between the couple. She was giving counsel. And he was not receiving it well. 
And I was the whole time thinking, um, y'all need a counseling ministry to come alongside and help y'all. We all give counsel. We all give advice. We all train. We all disciple. We're all equipping or being equipped. And what we want to do is equip you so that you can serve the body of Christ well. Says one writer, Marshall and Payne, in an outstanding book, The Trellis and the Vine, the goal of the Christian ministry is quite simple. We are making and nurturing genuine disciples. Excuse me. Are we making and nurturing genuine disciples of Christ? The church always tends toward institutionalism and secularization. The focus shifts to preserving traditional programs and structures. And the goal of discipleship is lost. The mandate of discipling and disciple making provides the touchstone for whether our church is engaging in Christ's mission. Are we making genuine disciples of Jesus Christ? Are you building into someone? Is someone building into you? All of us need to be in that role, in that process, in some way. We're all equipping or we're all being equipped. There's a parallel to this in verse 12. And it is that we are all either serving or being served. Notice what he says. For the equipping of the saints, all the saints are being equipped. And all the saints are being equipped for the work of service. You're all being equipped to serve God in the church body. Literally, that reads something like, for the deeds of deaconing. You're all deacons. You're all servants. You're all equipped to serve. So there are some implications from this. One implication is one of our core values. Every member is a minister. The New Testament knows nothing of people who watch but don't engage, who attend but don't participate. There are, friends, no sidelines in the church. Everyone is on the field. Says Ray Stedman, most simply, all Christians are in ministry. All Christians are in ministry. John MacArthur writes, spiritual service is the work of every Christian, every saint of God. Attendance is a poor substitution for participation in ministry. Now, Corinthians will tell us, 1 Corinthians 12, some are more prominent, some are less prominent. Some are more visible, some are less visible, but all are necessary to the functioning of the body. The work is work, but the work is also a joy. Is ministry hard? Yeah. Is it long? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls it toil, labor. He's thinking about all day working outside in the sun and, 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 and the weightiness and the hardness and the harshness of that. Is there that component to, to ministry? Absolutely. Is it joy? You better believe it.
It's one of the privileges of being around a place as long as Keith and I have been around here. First church out of seminary for both of us. I've been here 30. He's been here 18. (laughs) You know how weird that is? How unusual that is? Not weird. How unusual that is? You know what the joys of that? We've got a story for all of you. And it's just covered with grace. Has some of the labor been hard with y'all? Yeah. Has some of your labor with, with Keith and me been hard? Yeah. With me especially? It's been hard. Is there joy as we've endured together? That's why I wouldn't trade the mountains for you guys. I love the mountains. But I'm always coming home. Because it's about you. It's about fellowship. It's about the joy of being together. Yeah, the work is work. But it's a joy. The work of service is also in building people. Not buildings. Service is speaking the word of God into the lives of people. It is easy to be task oriented. But God has created the church to be people oriented. It's about relationships. I want that said up front right now here. Because in about 30 to 40 minutes. You're going to be hearing about. Some things that we have planned for the coming year, years, you've already perhaps snuck a peek at some pretty pictures on the wall over there, but some things that we're envisioning about ministry around here, and a lot of it is oriented towards parking lots and pavement and moving dirt and building buildings and restructuring buildings, and I do not want you to misunderstand We are not here about building physical empires, we are here about building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's people. And we're only doing those things because those things are just tools so that we can be well equipped and have a place and a means by which we can build into people. But don't misunderstand, that's not ministry any more than a hammer is building a a house. That's simply the tool to get what we need. And that's building into people and discipling and training people. Notice what the Apostle says here. The goal of the building, verse 13, is until we all attain, we all, that's people, attain to the unity of the faith, to a mature man. What does a mature man look like? He looks like the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ We are here discipling, building, training, cultivating relationships to make people look like Jesus. That's why we're here. That's what you're here for. That's what I'm here for. And again, these relationships are the privilege of every believer in the church body. If you're a 10-year-old believer or an 87-year-old believer, or somewhere in the mushy middle between. That's why you're here, is to build into others, to perfect them, to bring them to Jesus Christ and maturity in Him. This isn't a program. 
This is a mindset. This is a mentality. This is an attitude. I have the Holy Spirit of God. I have a gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And I have the Spirit's Word. And I'm going to use it to invest in the lives of people. Says one writer, In spite of our inadequacies, in spite of our lack of full maturity, the Lord desires to use us in the lives of others. The help we provide others will not be perfect in the same way that the help we receive from them will not be perfect. Regardless, we are created as a body for each other. We're all serving or we're all being served. Our priority is that we're always working We're always serving. We're always equipping. We're always discipling. You and I were created in Christ for this. The bottom of your outline, you have a little sentence that says something like, in light of what I've learned in this sermon this week, I can do one thing. What is one thing you can do this week to enhance your service of others, to pour into the life of someone else. There's a fifth implication that Paul would have us to see in this passage, and that is we are all cultivating a mindset of responsibility. It's a mindset of responsibility. It is, verse 12, to the building up of the body of Christ. We're using gifts until Christ's church is built until Christ's people are built. And again, when we say built, we're talking about spiritual progress and spiritual maturity. Because of that, some of us may have to rethink some of our basic presuppositions about church and ministry. Church is not something to be done by leaders and enjoyed by the laity. It's done by all of us. While we were on vacation, a, a longtime friend of mine, uh, his wife texted me and said, um, my husband is ill. Would you mind giving him a call? And so I called him. And as, as soon as I called him, he was in the hospital. He picked up the phone and he said, church, this is laity. <laughs> it's been our running gag for 30 years. I'm the church. He's the laity. And brothers, there is no division like that. We're all in the process. By the way, he knows that, and that's part of the gag. Um, We're here to work together. There is a distinction of responsibility. Different people in the body, different responsibilities. But there's no distinction between the responsibility of activity. All believers are to be involved in some kind of process in making disciples of Jesus Christ. Can I say it this way? We are saved alone, but we are not saved to be alone. We are saved alone to be together, to have our lives in community. That's really un-American, isn't it? And it's really un-Texan. We all have boots. We know how to pull ourselves up by those boots and our own bootstraps. We don't need others, we think. But friends, we will never thrive 
until we are investing in the lives of others. Just think about how the New Testament particularly thinks about this. Jesus called the disciples, Mark chapter 3, so that they would be with him. Not that he would serve them. Not that they would serve him. Not that they would go and perform miracles. He called them so that they would be with him. Partnership, community, fellowship. Over 200 times the New Testament says we are brothers. In other words, we're created to be with each other, to have fellowship, to have union. There will on occasion be a temptation to say something like, why bother? It's hard. It's not worth it. It's tempting to be jaded by disappointment. To see things not turn out the way we anticipate, desire, and to to pour ourselves out too many times and experience pain and suffering. Brothers and sisters, it is worth the cost to be together. Why can I say that? Because Christ died to accomplish it. That's the whole point of this passage. Jesus died to bring us together with him. Is it hard? Yes, at times it is. But it is always worth it. There's another mindset that we need to cultivate. Some of us have a lack of understanding about what to do. I don't know how. Well, this passage starts laying it out for us, what we need to do. And maybe you need to be trained and equipped and discipled about what to do. Okay, that's why we're here. We want to train you. Come to Keith's class on Monday on Zoom and um, see what see what you can learn about being a discipler of Jesus Christ and training and counseling others and be involved in a home group and come to Sunday school and attend GBI and invest yourself in the lives of others and let others pour the truth of Christ into you. Some of us lack a biblical desire. I don't want to. Think about the story about the young man who the arm goes off on Sunday morning and he rolls over and he hits it and turns it off. And the snooze alarm comes back on nine minutes later and he slaps it off again. And nine minutes later and he slaps it off again. And and pretty soon the, the mother comes into the room and says, Son, you need to get up and go to church. I don't want to go to church. Son, you got to go to church. You're the pastor. I don't want to. It doesn't matter whether you want to. Focus is wrong. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the shame of the cross. He loved the cross, despite its shame for what it would accomplish. So align your desires with God's desires. Some of us lack courage. I'm afraid. I've been hurt. That's undoubtedly true. If you've been in a relationship, you've been hurt. I've probably incurred Inflicted would be the right word. More hurt and more damage. In the relationship that I hold the most dear. And that's the relationship with Regine. 
I've sinned against her more than I've sinned against anybody else in this world. Is there a danger there? Yeah. Is there an opportunity for fear? Perhaps. We need to learn the joy of reconciliation. We crawl into bed at night, kiss each other goodnight. There's no greater delight, no greater joy than we have than being with each other in spite of all the hurt. And that can happen in the body of Christ as well. There can be reconciliation. There can be restoration. And there can be unity after disharmony. There's an answer for your hurts and your fears. Some of us lack strength. I'm already overwhelmed. Understand 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Your toil is not in vain. Sometimes your weariness is not wrong. I love what MacArthur said years ago. I heard this at a conference. He said, sometimes your weariness is not from the fact that you've been doing the wrong thing, but that you've been doing the right thing. Yeah. You will be weary at times. And the Lord will strengthen you for that task. Some of us lack love. I don't like that person. You may not like that person. But you have been called to love and like that person whom Christ died to redeem. And He can give you that love for them. All of us need a Christ-like commitment to people. Christ was not interrupted by people. People were the purpose of His coming. And by the way, lest we forget, when Christ came... No one wanted Him. So Christ came for messy, sinful, unkind, hateful people. And out of those people, God redeemed some and made them to belong to Christ eternally. And we are part of that sweet fellowship of believers. As we finish up, let me just draw quickly some implications this is going to influence the way we structure ministry it's always going to be people over programs it's always going to be every member ministry it's going to be substance over style i've been around long enough to know i don't have much style my kids told me a long time ago talking about music dad you don't have any rhythm okay i get it i don't have much style i get it but I hope there's going to be some substance here. That's our goal. Substance over style, people over programs, every member serving. Every believer will always have a function in the body of Christ. It may not be a job title, but it will be a function. You have a place. You have a role. If you are here, there's a place for you to serve Christ by serving Christ's people. Building and preserving relationships will always be a priority We will work hard to preserve unity because God gave us that unity and He has commanded us, verse 3, to preserve what He has given us. Another implication is that everyone needs someone. No matter how mature anyone is, he has not attained perfection and he still needs the ministry of others to help him. I need you. Everyone needs someone. 
participating in their lives, speaking into their lives. And when you pull back and say, oh, he doesn't need me, you have robbed him of the benefit that God has put you in the body of Christ to provide. Everyone needs someone. Never make assumptions about the inability of someone to change. It may be that God has placed you in his life for the very purpose of helping that person change. Always work. Always look for and take opportunities to cultivate relationships so that you will have an opportunity to serve others, to bring them to maturity in Christ. And stimulating others to maturity is not optional. It's for all of us. Just like a a mother of a newborn baby changes and feeds and cares for that baby, a believer in Jesus Christ works to help others mature in Christ. That's for all of us. We all need each other. The church is built on people. Relationships are essential. They are not optional. And our challenge in 2021 is to fulfill our privileged duty in caring for God's people by building them up through relationship. Let us do that with joy, with effectiveness from the word of God, with persistence, and with satisfaction that God can even use me and you to accomplish that goal. Father, thank you for these simple reminders from such a pivotal passage. And might it shape us this week, this year, this new decade, and for however long you tarry, might these kinds of truths transform us and make us effective in serving you and your people. We pray in Christ's name and for his glory.